0: Last week we left off at KDE CLI Tools, this week we're diving back in with KDE Dev Scripts. KDE Dev Scripts are scripts and setting files useful during the development of KDE software, so this is gonna be something that you'll you'll probably only look at if you're making a KDE application, which sounds like fun, I've never done it, but um, it does seem like a nice thing to try because cute is really fun to develop for, uh, that I have done, and uh, KDE adds a bunch of cool new features to cute, so it's kinda cool. Um, okay, there are a bunch of, of scripts in this package, so I'm not sure what the best way of attacking them all are going to be, because while some of them are are vaguely interesting, not all of them are necessarily probably worth discussing in, in great detail. Let's find out just how many there are by doing a grep for user bin in varlog packages KDE dev scripts and then piping that through WC word count, except we're going to word count the lines dash L, not the words. And it looks like there are a grand total of 61 scripts. That's a lot. I mean, that's a whole podcast. So I'm definitely not gonna go through all of these, I don't think, uh, line by line, by any means. Let's see. There's the add debug script. Let's look at what that is. It modifies a make file in the current directory, and optionally, subdirectories, to add the debug info, that's dash g3, Optionally uh, remove optimizations. That's the dash capital o one through nine. and then optionally remove uh, DND debug and dnd underscore debug flags. I don't think I have that much to say uh, about it beyond what it says about itself. So that's what that script does. And I think it probably sets a good tone for the kind of um the the kind of commands we're gonna encounter here. These are little utilitarian scripts that just add handy little features to to development processes. Whether it's building building software or 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 modifying a make file so that you can then build the software and so on. So, uh, for instance, build progress does a uh, status message in the title bar of console or xterm or whatever your terminal is. Uh, it prints a progress report on on the on on where your build uh, process is in the title bar of your terminal, so that's kind of handy. You can imagine how that would be useful to someone. There's a C plus plus copy class and file. C plus plus rename class and file. That's a um, it's an, a common IDE function, except outside of an IDE. In this case, there's a script for it to to either copy a class uh, and the classes are uh, when, when you're developing object-oriented uh, applications, you generally find that your classes are also, like the name of your file is also the class that it contains, and so if you want to copy that class and file, then you can use the C++ copy class and file. If you want to rename it, so sort of you're you're maybe almost refactoring your application, C++ rename class and file. Cheat make is a script to lie to your compiler. This is a you know a little bit of a dangerous one, I guess, in a in a way, because you might be hiding from your compiler the fact that something changed, and you have to sort of really know what you're doing when you when you do something like that. But uh, you you can do that. You can tell it to ignore the change in such and such a file. And the reason that is important is because when you're building something really really big, like all of KDE, which I have tried to do before, and I don't think I've ever gotten through it successfully. Uh, it's it's just such a big, monumental thing to build that, you know, if you change like a comment in a file that really doesn't affect anything, or, or maybe you change something else in a file, and you know, because you're a really good developer, and you know these things, and you know that it doesn't affect anything, then you can just, you know, like, if by changing it, you might force, naturally, your build system will detect that change, and rebuild everything that that thing potentially affects. But if you know better, then you can lie to it and ignore a change so that you don't have to spend time rebuilding lots of components that you know deep down weren't actually affected by the change. It is a rainy day here in New Zealand, and I have to admit that I have obtained coffee early, so I will totally understand if you have to go get coffee early because I certainly did and I don't regret it one bit. Uh, and it's very good. It's a good, good pot of coffee this time around. Okay, let's talk about maybe, okay, color CV, uh, color SVN, create CVS ignore, create make make file. That actually sounds kind of interesting. But there's a bunch of SVN and CVS utility scripts that I don't feel are probably all that important to talk about. Um, There may be some KDE software that still uses SVN and CVS. I I don't remember seeing any off the top of my head, but I guess it could still exist. I mean, this is KDE 25th anniversary edition or whatever they were calling it, so you wouldn't think... it's, it's pretty recent, so you wouldn't think that 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 those scripts would still exist if there wasn't some cause for them. But anyway, uh, I'm not gonna talk about them. So there's create makefile.in and makefile in a directory containing a makefile.am saves time compared to rerunning configuration completely. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that could be really useful, actually, if you're an AutoTools user this skips some of the 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 laborious, you know nuking your environment. and then uh, autoconf, recon, auto recon, auto make, dash dash add dash missing, all that other stuff that you sometimes find yourself doing over and over again. Uh, that could be really useful. So create make file or create make files, plural. And then there's create SVN ignore, which, as I said, I'm not going to talk about. There's CVS clean, CVS add current dir, CVS backport, lots of CVS utility scripts. Like what's that? 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. So at least 10, maybe 12. Okay. Uh, CXX metric. Let's find out what that is. I don't remember what this one is. Must have not even looked at it. Uh, oh, yeah, this simple source metrics for C++. I didn't look at that. Um, this is a Perl script, and uh, presumably it's giving you metrics about a project that has a mixture of C++ and then something else. So it's it's it it appears to be from a quick glance, uh, just kind of tallying up how much C++ there is in within a project. Draw lib dependencies is an interesting one. It, it does require graphviz, graph viz. so I didn't I didn't run it. But it is an application to visualize the dependencies of a library, of a shared object, a library, or a binary uh, executable. It simply shows you all of the things that that requires to to run on a system, which can be useful. Um, it's a nice visual aid, I think. And you do see this kind of thing on the in the cute docs. You see um, little visual representations of inheritance of different classes. So it's kind of, you know, in a way it's similar to that, although it's not talking about classes and things, it's talking about binaries and libraries. Um, yeah, and then there's a bunch of um, other helper scripts which, you know, you just keep going on and on, but a lot of them are just so niche and their their names sort of describe what they do. Extend dmalloc. Ec- uh, extract adder. Extract rc. Find missing crystal. Okay, that one... okay, I'll admit, that one is not um, necessarily self-evident. It's a small script to look at crystal icons and see which ones are the same as KDE classic slash high color. There there are scripts here that I think are are outdated for the current iteration of KDE, so things like kde-kill-all, that sounds useful, and yet, if you look at the code, it's calling kde-init-4, whereas I'm pretty sure, I guess I should just make sure which kde-init, or, what is it, kde-init? Or k-init? No, kde-init, because k-init would be Kerberos. Uh, kde-init-5 is the current iteration of that command, so a a helper script that calls kde-init-4 doesn't seem super useful. There's a, a translation file here called uh, KDE. What is it called? Uh, KDE link or KDE two desktop dot which kind of intrigued me. I looked at it and it uh, it's a very very short Python script that apparently takes a file ending in dot KDE and I I guess. Um, I guess it must translate it into a .desktop file, which I don't know how that's done. I don't understand what I'm looking at the code and it's, it's literally like 15 lines of code. So it's, it's using something, some module somewhere to apparently transform this into a .desktop file which I kind of assume, I mean, it looks to me like it is literally just renaming a file. So I don't know what .kde.lnk is. It may be some kind of intermediate file stage from KDE to de- to, to .desktop, or could it possibly be? I don't know. Um, like a, a deprecated thing from like way back before .desktop files even existed. I don't know. So that that's a that's a mystery to me. I wasn't really able to find. I did do a. Well, I did a search on my system first for any mention of kde.kdelnk and found nothing. And then I did a quick internet search and wasn't coming up with anything super obvious uh, that that seemed to tell me what kdelnk was. So if you've been a user of kde for a long time, and know what that is let me know if you are alternately a KDE developer and know exactly what that is feel free to let me know as well um, I am kind of interested in that and and I I really don't know what it is but you know I didn't come to to KDE until really well after well what is it like 2000 and whatever year the kDE4 uh, reveal was held which've I've cited on this show before um it's in the sh- it's in like the archives. 2006, maybe 2008 no it has to be 2008 uh, which actually doesn't sound all that all that late in my Linux career I, I keep in my head I, I feel like I although you know I wasn't a full-time KDE user even then i I, I really ran fluxbox mostly uh, with KDE apps. okay, so then there's kDE man mangen.pL which as you can imagine is a uh, it's a it's a Perl script that takes a KDE app and generates a, a man page for it. So that seems really, really useful. Um, I, I think that automated doc- documentation is is better than no documentation. Let's put it that way. I do think it's a really important important thing um, to to have available. Uh, even though you know, in the ideal world, you would have just actual humans writing documentation in a in a clear and concise and uh, friendly way. But that's just not always possible. What what we want and what we have access to are not the same thing sometimes. And then there is optimized Graphics. That seems like a useful script. And it is a wrapper around PNG, um, what is it? OptiPNG, um, ADVDEF? I don't know that one. And then PNGOUT. I don't think I know that one either, to be honest. But OptiPNG is nice. There are applications out there that claim to optimize your graphics in one way or another. Usually, I mean, it's generally for size. Um, I've had mixed results with them, and I I guess I I probably should use them more, honestly. And I I just... just, um, honestly just to test them out more, to to see the results. Uh, In fact, you know, I'm making a mental note to start doing that. Um, There's some for PNG, there's some for JPEG, and so on. I mean, honestly, at this point in time, it really just makes sense to use WebP. I mean, it's a really nice format, just like Opus, you know, it just really does reduce those file sizes and I just don't have really any complaints about the results. So, WebP, uh, Opus, those are really great, but in absence of those, because you don't... not everything accepts WebP still, for some reason. Uh, So, sometimes OptiPNG, or whatever the one for JPEG that I'm thinking of is, Um, or maybe ADVDEF, although I don't know what that is. Uh, some of these little helper applications that just kinda cut out some of those, uh, uh, you know, cut down the color space and and, and optimize what kind of data your, your file actually contains, can be kind of nice to mess around with. And, uh, this is a front end for those scripts. I'm not sure how generally useful it is. You'd have to have all of those things installed, obviously. Which um, they don't necessarily. I mean, they don't come with Slackware, as far as I know. So, uh, the the script itself is not very useful um, without additional installs. But sometimes they can be useful. So don't don't forget that those exist if you're ever trying to really really optimize what you're uploading to the internet. Which um, sometimes is uh, quite quite useful to do because um, the internet is a a really big and bloated place now. And sometimes it's just nice to really optimize what you're putting on there, especially when it doesn't have to be uh, an enormous graphical file for, you know, just, just for some little bit of information. So I I really do appreciate it. Uh, Well, I've appreciated it in the past. Nowadays, I don't care. I'm on fiber, but that is a very recent development in, in, in my life. And it is, Something that I, I'm I'm aware that a lot of people do not have. Um, I kind of just lucked out in into the fact that that my region got fiber, but um, you know there are there are times that I know I'm going to care again. Uh, and so optimizing graphics for, for things that you are sending across a, a network uh, with bandwidth requirements or restrictions is a hugely, hugely useful thing to do. So optimize graphics. If not the script, then at least adopt the spirit. And then there's a bunch more SVN stuff. So you had the CVS optimization, or not optimization, uh, but utility script. Now at the, here at the end, you've got SVN clean, SVN back port, svn change since svn forward port, just all kinds of things, so it goes on and on and on. Now, um, that's, you know, probably useful, and uh, I just don't know how often you're gonna run into SVN anymore these days. I certainly don't interact with it in real life, uh, hardly ever, and so I'm not really interested in the scripts. Now there is a um, an interesting script called Uncrustify KF5, which is KDE Framework 5, and this applies the KF5 cute or a custom coding style to all C, CPP, and header files in and below a cur- um, the current directory. I don't know, once again, I don't know how useful a script this, this is, I don't know how not useful it is, But, uh, I mean, I'm just saying it it may not be all that useful because, I mean, you could just also just run Uncrustify. But, I'm gonna say that sometimes looking through these scripts and applications and so on, there's value in... I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm not saying that this isn't a useful script. This could be a very useful script. I'm just saying, it made me think that sometimes just looking at these things is interesting because you find out about stuff that you didn't know. For instance... Uncrustify. I'd never heard of Uncrustify before. I don't think, and I I looked it up because this uh, Uncrustify KF5 requires crust, uh, Uncrustify, which is found at GitHub.com/uncrustify. Uh, so going over to GitHub.com/uncrustify, Uncrustify is uh, kind of cool. It it reveals that this is a Python um, a Python module. I, I think from what I'm reading, it, it seems to extend CMake itself, uh, but I guess it probably is also vaguely standalone. I'm not sure. I haven't tried it yet. But uh, the interesting thing about it is that it, it you know it's it's meant to beautify code for C, C++, C#, Sharp, Objective C, D, Java, Pawn, and Vala. So I mean that's a pretty good list of programming languages. Um, I'm looking at Java here. And, you know, it's kind of funny to use a Python module for CMake to beautify your source code for Java. That That's a, a long way around beautifying Java code, probably. And and to be fair, I probably won't use this anytime soon. I have NetBeans for, for, for keeping me honest about sort of the structure of my code. Uh, so I probably won't really use this. But it's really neat to see this kind of thing, to see that it exists, um, to potentially... Beautify someone else's code sometimes. Sometimes that's useful in itself. Um, and yeah, so uncrustify. Check it out if if you if you write in any of these um, programming languages, because this might be an interesting way to sort of just touch up your code just here and there, just beautify it a little bit. Uh, I mean, you might not like it. It might be too might be too extreme, and it might put the curly braces on a line that you don't want them on. But I don't know. It's kind of interesting to, to realize that such a thing exists. WC grep is a I I find it deceptive. I, I thought WC grep meant, okay, we're going to do a word count and a grep. Which I guess, technically, I mean, you know, reasonably that would probably be grep WC or something. But I, I thought it was going to be some kind of handy combination of a grep command and a word count. Almost as if though you were, like, finding the number of occurrences of something. Or something like that. I don't know. Um, anyway, it's not what it is. It's working copy grep working copy grep. It's actually geared toward SVN, but it's actually really useful for just kind of a lazy grep through all of the files. So for instance, let's say you wanted to find the occurrences of um, dolphin, the word dolphin, in var log packages. You don't want to have to specify the file, you just want it to look in var log packages, and find all of the files and all of the occurrences within each of those files of the word dolphin. wc grep dolphin, var log packages, and there are all the results. Now, th- that's probably not the, the the most useful example, because after all, that uh, all the files are in one directory, but y- you can get a lot, it can get be even more useful if you do, I don't know, wc grep dolphin user share, or uh, rather, slash usr. Because that will descend all of the subdirectories within user, so you'll, it'll go into share, it'll go into local, it'll go into include, and so on, and just grep through your whole uh, a whole file system really, and that's that is useful. I mean, it once again, not that big of a deal. You could just do a find in slash usr uh, or slash usr and then dash type f and then and then pipe that to parallel maybe to grep for dolphin or penguin or you know whatever you're grepping for and and you'll get all the same the same results functionally and with parallel it'll probably even happen faster to be honest but what i'm trying to get to is that the, the these are helper scripts these are just meant to be convenience scripts that reduce your typing and if you don't want to have to do the find command and piping it to a parallel and all the other ty- all the typing that that entails then you have wc grep that's what a helper script is supposed to do for you. It's supposed to make things just a little bit easier. And that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's not literally it, because I've, I've skipped over a bunch of different files, but as I've already explained, I just I don't think that it's gonna be useful to literally go through all of these scripts one by one in the manner that I have in other packages. So that's the KDE dev scripts, but it's not the KDE dev utilities. The package KDE dev utils is a collection, and I, I should say a small collection, because there's only two things in it, of little useful utilities for people programming in CUTE or KDE using CUTE extensions. And and there's always that weird sort of differentiation between CUTE and KDE because they're they're so very close and then also not close at all so um well they, they are actually pretty close but i mean kde extends cute essentially i think you could say that fairly so so if you're using cute and then you decide to use a kde library then then this could potentially be useful to you and the first one that exists is uh kd no k part loader i think i've kind of talked about this before the 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 concept of of Parts in KDE, um, you know, KDE and and lots of programming really is quite modular. But KDE has this really cool thing where something like the Kate editor, for instance, it, it is so modular that other applications like KWrite borrow parts of it in order to well, make your life simpler as as a well a user or a developer. But for instance, the the really simple example I guess would be if you want a text, a, a very robust text entry box, not not just a field, but like a, a, a document, then you might use Kate part so that you have all of the, much of the functionality of the rich functionality of, of the Kate text editor, rather than just a, a raw text entry widget from the cute Q- uh, library, which, I mean, Qt's text editor is relatively robust if you compare it to to other text entry boxes, but still, the, the process of, of managing text is surprisingly complex in programming. I mean, not super complex, but complex enough, you know. A lot of the things that you kind of take for granted in a really basic text editor just they aren't there. So if you want something with some of the really basic assumptions accounted for, then kate part is a really great way to do that. But how do you see what kate part is exactly without sort of opening up kate and just kind of trying to differentiate in your just sort of by by inference what what, it, what the kate part is versus what the, the extra stuff is? Um, it can be rather difficult. So the parts of KDE Framework are stored in user lib 64 slash cute5 slash plugins slash kf5, that's KDE Framework 5, slash parts. And if you look in that path, which I'll do right now, ls space slash usr slash lib64 slash cute5 slash plugins slash kf5, Slash parts. There's quite a few parts there. There's arc part. So that's for the archiving. Um, there's cantor part. I, I forget what cantor is. I'm sure we looked at it already. Dolphin part. Dragon part. That's media playing uh, stuff. FS view part. Probably a file system view. GV part. Kate part. K font view part. That's cool. K HTML adapter part. KHTML image part. K HTML, of course, being the the library the the system upon which i mean that 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 became really it was forked and it became um, what you now know as webkit k html part k part k image editor part that's cool k java applet viewer part no 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 part um k m plot part k multi part it, the list goes on. I mean, not not super, super long. I, I covered most of them, but there are a lot there. You want to see them? Kpart Loader, and then the path, which is again, slash user, lib64, cute 5 plugins, kf5 parts, and then some part. So in this case, I'll just do ktpart.so, because that's what's listed here. And you open up uh, a window labeled Kpart um, Loader, but I mean, really, in many ways, um I guess if you want to see what k part loader looks like without anything, just do k part loader foo. And you get an error, but it still does open up a window labeled k part loader. So that's that's the natural form of k part loader, not a whole lot. It's literally an empty window. Do that again with something valid like Kate Kate part. And you see the substance of of Kate part. You see exactly what that entails. And it's a lot. There's a file menu, there's an edit menu, a view, bookmarks, tools, settings, help, and a big document-sized, you know, however big you've got the window text field that you can, that you could, in theory, use to compose text in, and then um, a bunch of other things things down at the bottom, like a status bar, or, or a, I guess you could call it a status bar, you know, sets whether you're using tabs or spaces, and how many spaces of each, and what character encoding you're using, and so on. All of the, all of the things that you could possibly really want out of a text editor, and, and a little bit more, honestly. Now this isn't a, a functional, like, application. You haven't just written a new, a new, um, Text editor like this isn't this this isn't going to work for you. This isn't a, a great new way to run Kate. It's just you're looking at the at the widgets involved that that it provides you, uh, and you can do that with other things as well. Like I say, there as long as it's listed in the in the parts of 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 user lib64 cute5 plugins kf5 parts, then you can look at it with KPart Viewer. Again, it's not going to be super functional. Don't expect it to like do a whole bunch of stuff for you, but it does show you what is what what you're getting when you use it. So, K dolphin or not K dolphin, just dolphin part opens up essentially a dolphin window within K part viewer so you can see all the different parts of 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 dolphin and and it's kind of actually interesting to look at just because it does give you a sense of like when an application is delivering functionality to you within KDE what what part is modularized so that anyone can use it and what part what widgets and what functionality is specific to that one application developer's version of of that application and it, it's i mean the the other easy way to do that for for certain things is to look at two applications that happen to use the same parts so you might look at Kate and KWrite, for instance, and kind of try to find the differentiation between those two applications by just kind of comparing them and and seeing what one has that the other doesn't. But the the more literal way is to use k part viewer. It's a fascinating study in in kind of the structure of KDE. Okay, the next one is KUI Viewer. KUI Viewer is a a, a way to load a UI design without compiling your entire application. It, 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 you, you, there are design files and design structures to to create the interfaces that we use in KDE and if you don't want to especially as a developer you don't want to build your entire application just to to make sure that your design looks as you would expect. So KUI viewer can help with that. I've never used it, so I can't I can't really um, I can't say for sure you know, how much uh, compiling is involved. I mean, presumably you have to have some KDE compiled because otherwise the widgets wouldn't be able to render. Probably so. Um, I don't know how much, you know, w- what stage of development you have to be at in order for that to be useful. But that's what that is. KUI viewer. Okay. So next up is the KDE um, GTK config applica uh, uh, helper or module i guess you could say because there's no there aren't any um there's no executables here there is um in user share there's a kcm gtk module so that again K kde C, kcm is kde configuration module that's what kcm stands for and so the kde config module gtk module is uh going to be viewable uh, as you've probably come to expect now in system settings cuz that's typically where those are located and uh specifically you can go to appearance appearance is the is the place that uh that that sort of controls most of the look of of what you've got um in KDE and there is a little button down on the right so if you go to uh, appearance and then i guess what is it appearance i have to go back actually because now I'm too filtered, uh, so let's go back. Okay, appearance, and then yeah, application style, and then in the lower right corner of that, there's configure GNOME GTK application style, and that it's it's a pretty um, pretty minimal appearance, but it it does it gives you a choice. It gives you exactly one choice. It says GTK theme to use, and you can choose which GTK theme to use. You can use Adwaita Adwaita Adwaita, which is the um, the default GNOME one. There's Breeze. There's uh, Emacs. Graybird. Graybird Dark. High contrast, and so on. I have mine set to add Adwata Adwata Adwata, and it is um, it's working fine for me. I've never noticed that it doesn't follow my dark theme. There is an Adwaita Dark, so you kind of almost think that I would I should have that selected. I don't. Maybe I'm just not using like, quote unquote, enough. GTK applications. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. I've never noticed an inconsistency on Slackware. Now, this used to be kind of a bigger deal on Slackware or on on KDE and on Slackware uh, on Slackware because it didn't auto configure this for you. So you could run KDE on Slackware and just have no GTK theming whatsoever. And it used to be a little bit of you know it would cause some confusion I think for some some new Slackers. So You would have to install a gtk theme engine is what it was a cute dash gtk dash engine or something like that or gtk cute engine no it was cute gtk engine and and then then you could use something like gtk theme or gtk there was another one something or another uh gtk rc something I don't know, um, and then you could tell it what what GTK theme to to use within KDE, and that was quite nice. And I think it did show up in your system settings. Still, it was just an extra thing that you had to install, if I recall correctly. I mean, I used to install it from Slack builds, so yeah, I guess it must have been an extra thing that you had to install. And as long as you set that, then all your GTK would look beautiful. But if you didn't, if you didn't know to set to install the cute GTK engine then all your GTK apps looked like Windows 95 apps, and it was really frustrating. And really, I mean, honestly, we should have coffee. We should have had a coffee probably quite a while ago. Let's stop, have a cup of coffee, then we'll come back and finish up the show. <laughs> We're back. You have coffee, I've got my second cup of coffee. The next one on the list is Settings. It is a very specific application that does exactly one thing, and that is that it configures debug settings for a bunch of KDE modules. You can enable full debug, you can disable full debug, or you can control the debug mode. For instance, full info, warning, critical, or off. I don't use the debug um, in KDE you probably honestly don't either because i mean at least if you're running if you're running slackware kde then the the debug functionality is only of limited use to you i mean it it could be useful for you personally but if you're doing this to report a bug or something they're honestly just going to tell you to update kde to something recent and and run a debug on or or try to duplicate the the bug that you've run into so it there's not a whole lot to do with debugging reports on on what is considered an old version of KDE, and that's just I mean you're running Slackware, so you're you're running something that's that that is not keeping up with with the most recent versions of things on purpose. You're doing that for stability, so the kdebug option probably doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Uh, so yeah, you're probably not going to run it, but if you're if you are, then that's that's one way to activate and deactivate debug modes for for KDE. KDeclarative is an integration for QML and KDE workspaces. It comprises of two parts, a library used by C++ part of your application to integrate QML with KDE framework specific features, and a series of QML imports that offer bindings to some of the frameworks. So this is a development thing, and it's it's got a lot to do with uh, something called QML, which is... Uh, it stands for... what does it stand for? I just, just looked this up, because I can't ever remember what the Q stands for. Cute. simply enough. cute Meta Object Language, QML. And what that is, essentially, is it is a JavaScript Parser, I guess, or library, so that you can write JavaScript and then end up with a cute application. It's kind of amazing, to be honest. And you can you can test it out if you get um, the Cute Develop application, or rather Cute Creator. Sorry, uh, K Develop Cute Creator, or I think I think it might be in K Develop as well. Uh, you can you can utilize QML, otherwise known as, as JavaScript. I mean, that's what that's what you'll be writing um it's sort of a cross, almost in, in a sense of css and javascript but you can write this stuff using specific you know classes and IDs and things like that and control the look and feel of your cute application of the cute application that you are that you're creating so it's a a powerful scripting uh, option for developing stuff that otherwise you'd have to be using c plus plus potentially to To author an application in, and I, I think that's a huge, huge deal. I think it's um it's a big deal to be able to just use essentially a you know a scripting language, JavaScript, to to compose a, a full featured desktop application. Now, this is you know similar in a way, I guess, in spirit to Py, PySide and PyQt and things like that, where you can use Python to integrate or or to 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 create. A fully functioning desktop application, and so on. So there's there are definite parallels there. I would say probably QML is a little more integrated into the Qt system than even the PySide stuff, interestingly, or PyQt, whatever. Kind of kind of is surprising to me because Python is such a such a popular force of programming that you would think that there would be greater integration. Although from what I can tell nowadays. At least on Slackware, I feel like it's pretty well integrated already, like the pi pi Qt stuff. I could be could be making that up. Let's just try it. Import pi Qt. no. import pi Qt five. no. import PySide. Okay, yeah, so I'm wrong. i I, I was making that up. I, I thought I'd come across a pi a pi Qt application and it had just it had just worked. and I thought maybe that that meant it had been better integrated. Maybe I'm making that up. Uh, but QML is well integrated. I mean, it is part of cute. It is a an official part of Qt. So if you want to break out some JavaScript code and write an application, you can do that. There are, you know, little limitations here and there. I mean, you don't have the full breadth of everything that you have access to in C, which I mean, you know, if you're not going to use those options, then it doesn't really matter. And I think that's that's the that's the idea. So you can write JavaScript if you know your way around web development uh, and a little bit of programming, then you kind of know your way around QML, honestly. Uh, It uses a subsystem called Qt Quick, and that is available since I feel like the mid four dot releases of Qt. And of course we're up to, well, who knows what we're up to now, but for Slackware's purposes we can say safely that we're up to Qt 5. And and so you can use your JavaScript knowledge to create widgets or to reuse existing widgets, to theme them, to position them within a window, to detect mouse events, and and all of that stuff, and and more, a lot more stuff, because QML just it it has knowledge of of the whole Qt system, so you can you can use libraries that. Again, in theory, you should only be really sort of having access to if you're writing C++, but because you're tapping into Qt, Quick, you can use a lot more than you'd have access to normally with just, you know, just JavaScript, or just even, even just Python. Really, you've got quite a lot of um, integration there, and KDeclarative declarative helps ensure that all of this QML stuff also has access to the KDE framework itself, which is important. If you're doing a kde application Uh, there is a application that i've been using a lot lately that was written in qml Uh, so if you want to see this in action check out elisa e-l-i-s-a it's a media player and that was that was done with qml Um, you see some of the weaknesses of it, probably, because it's not a very configurable application, like, it's kind of, it has a feeling of being hard-coded. And I don't know how much of that is QML and how much of it's just a design choice, sort of like, well, this is my application and this is how you're going to use it. That seems atypical of a KDE application to me. So I don't, I don't know, you know, how much of that is sort of, this is what you get with QML, and how much of it is just kind of someone saying, well, this is this is the application that I'm delivering. Uh, I just don't know. So, um I mean, it, it does claim, you know, it does use KDE libraries and so on. So, I mean, I, I have a feeling that it's, I, I have a feeling that it is probably, possibly a, a QML limitation. the. In terms of like how limited it is that you could, you know, you really don't have a whole lot of control over the layout of Elisa, like you did, for instance, for Amarok, or or even for something like Juke, which you you have a pretty that that's pretty flexible. So that's just an example. I don't know how how useful it is because, like I say, I haven't really used QML myself, so I don't know what the limitation is on the technological side versus on development choice side. But QML is definitely something to check out if you're looking to start with desktop applications. I mean, it's not, it it isn't exactly like writing JavaScript because you do have to have an awareness that there are a bunch of libraries underneath what you're doing, and you have to know and understand how to access those through QML, not just... Through you know what you would think of as normal JavaScript, but that said, that there's there are a lot of similarities there. All right, so that was K declarative, very cool. And then the next one, uh, and the one that we'll probably end on here, is KDE Connect. This is a much loved application by everyone I've ever talked to who uses Linux. And has a mobile phone um, and uses KDE. And it's one of those things that I feel like for a lot of people, it is it's one of the lures of KDE. Like if you're if you're not sure if you want to use KDE, just on the fence, KDE Connect seems to be one of those things that kind of definitely convinces some people. And it is such a nice application. So KDE Connect connects your mobile phone as long as you have KDE Connect the the kde the kde connect app installed on your mobile phone then you can connect it over your wireless connection or your wired connection your, your your local network to your kde desktop it 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 has an odd assortment of things that it can do and i i feel like it's the it's an odd assortment that you'll either think you know that you might just kind of ignore five of them and absolutely rely on two of them or whatever so the odd assortment includes well i guess i'll start with the the strongest which is send files if you want to send a file from your mobile phone to your kde desktop just use kde connect it is so easy to do you click on send files you select the files that you want to send to your kde desktop and it receives them it's just that easy now of course you have to marry the you have to like join these things and and the way that you do that is either KDE Connect in your application window, or just go to system settings, because ultimately that's where this little panel shows up. Um, And in settings, I feel like it probably has its own little panel. Yeah, KDE Connect has its own little panel. So you go there, you add your device to to this, um, to this, uh, set system setting panel. And you, you can choose what your phone and your desktop sort of have access to together. So for instance, you, there are lots of plugins for KDE Connect. There's a battery monitor so you can monitor your phone battery next to your computer battery. I don't, I don't have that on mine because I don't, I don't have a battery on my computer, first of all, but also I don't really care about my phone battery right now because I'm just at home. I'll plug it in if it gets low. Um, big screen plug-in. Um, clipboard plug-in. You can share your clipboard. Uh, connectivity monitor. Share your contacts. And so on. It just goes on and on. So there's a bunch of plugins that you can do, that, that you can um, have between your phone and your your um, your desktop. And on your app, on the phone, you can send files, you can use your phone as a slideshow remote. So, I mean, I've never done that, but I, I imagine that would be very useful for some people. Multimedia control, I actually use this one a lot um, because I'm often playing music on my desktop, but sometimes I'll step out of the room and I'll think, oh, I should pause my music. Or maybe the music isn't playing and I'll think, oh, I'm in a different room, I should have some background music. and so. I'll Start my music playing and so on. Uh, remote input, that's a, a crazy one. You can actually use your phone essentially as a trackpad uh, for your mouse on your desktop. You just use it really like a trackpad, like a, ma- a, a, a remote mouse over a network. You can also run a command. So, you know, run an arbitrary command on your desktop from your mobile. This is kind of, I mean, in terms of Integration with a desktop, it, it's its kind of a game-changer. It's a big deal. It makes things really, really simple. It makes your life a lot simpler because you don't really have to think about how you're gonna get that file from your um, phone to your desktop. And there's no wonky kind of like synchronization thing. You know, the, the phone and the desktop don't have to always be aware of each other. They can be if you want them to be, but they don't have to be. So it's it's just a utility app. You get to do the the things that you want to do um and and that's nice it's a really nice application and i think in a lot of ways it just solves the problem of having a mobile phone and a desktop that 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 are really just egregiously not communicative typically i mean you mobiles really annoy me they don't they don't integrate nearly as much with 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 your your personal life as they ought to. They 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 tend to try to keep your information as far away out of your hands as possible, even though you're literally holding it in your hand. Uh, it wants you to go through some online service to uh, to access your own your your data, and that's just so frustrating. But with KDE Connect, you you can you can juggle files back and forth, and obviously it does go both ways. Well, not obviously. It does go both ways. You can be on your uh, desktop and choose, certainly within Dolphin, right-click on something, and there's a menu selection right there. It's just its own little menu selection that says, let me read it, uh, send to and then your device with KDE Connect. And and it's that easy to send a file from your desktop to your phone, and then accordingly it is that, that easy over on your phone side to send a file to your desktop. So it's a really, really um, great little utility, and it just kind of sneaks up on you. It it really, it's, it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly effective. It just does things that, I mean, ought to, really ought to be really obvious and simple anyway, but are not. Phone manufacturers just didn't design their devices to be useful or to be convenient, and this hacks around that in a really, really elegant way. And all it is is just one little app on your phone, KDE Connect, which you can get through F-Droid if you you prefer. Or you can download the APK from KDE directly, or it's probably available in whatever app store you do use. And then you've got that, you you can have that talking to your KDE desktop, and it's brilliant. There's just, and and there's no reason to think that there won't be yet more plugins available in the future. This is um, really, really quite nice. Oh, there's a Find Your Device um, plugin as well, so you can play a sound on your device. If, you, if you've misplaced it in your house, you can possibly locate it through sound. Uh, again, just triggering that through your desktop. Uh, you cannot find your desktop through your phone, though. That's um, that's a big drawback. So if you misplace your desktop computer, uh, your phone will not, even with KDE Connect, will not be able to help you find it. Okay, and hopefully that's not actually a problem for you. Okay, that's, I think, everything that I have to talk about. Uh, in this episode, that that got us up to uh KDE Connect. So next up will be K Decoration, KDE D, KDE Edu, KDE Graphics, and so on. So we're getting there. We're getting through some of these KDE applications. Hopefully, this has been informative and useful. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. attention to the information recorded on this briefing prepared by L section of our UFO division.